Hey friends, welcome to episode 133 of the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans, and today I'm going to talk about our most recent clinic in Lubbock, Texas. This uh, Lubbock, Texas clinic kind of finished up our our big 10-week tour on the road. Um, shoot, we went all the way from, we started in Colorado and Went all the way east to Virginia and then all the way back west and down to Texas and back home. And, oh, we had a lot of great experiences. And uh, hope, hopefully you have enjoyed the uh, uh, the past episodes of these uh, clinic debriefs that I put on. You know, these debriefs are, are, are good for me. I enjoy doing these in, even if nobody listens to them. You know, I kind of, it's good for me just to talk about it from my perspective and what I see. And, and uh, ho- hopefully some of the things I bring up might help you in some way or another, especially if you're thinking about attending a clinic. Um, it'll give you an idea of kind of how some things go. Um, so, Lubbock, Texas. This clinic was held at the South Plains Writing Center just outside of Lubbock. And our wonderful host, Shannon Agar, did a great job of putting this clinic together. And, and uh, Shannon, if you're listening, we really appreciate you doing such a good job. Now, there was a lot of fun little moments in this clinic to talk about. Um, and, you know, after I do the clinic, I just kind of take these little notes here. Um, just, you know, little things to, to mention. And, and sometimes they turn into big things. Sometimes... Um, Sometimes after I wrote them down and I get back to them, I'm like, eh, eh I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but, you know, uh, I want to talk about one fellow that was there that I think is going to be really successful in his endeavors with mules and mulemanship. Uh, his name is Smokey Briggs, and he's from Pecos, Texas. Uh, he, he had a mule named Cole, and him and his daughter Dixie came up and, and rode and and they did the mulemanship one class, and and then uh, Smokey decided to actually join the foundation class as well. So he ended up double dipping. But you know, enthusiasm, you guys, enthusiasm just makes all the difference. And you know, uh, the uh, the first morning, um, you know, he came up to me, and he had just watched the foundation class the first day. He decided to jump in the next day, but he. He watched and he said, what a fantastic class. Like he just said, fantastic class. And I just, I love the way he said it and his enthusiasm about learning. Um, it was just, it was just really cool, you know? And so Smokey, you know, just thanks for being enthusiastic about it. Thanks for being excited. And uh, I think out of everybody, Smokey asked the most questions. He showed up to class with a notepad and a pen in his pocket and I saw him taking notes just all the time. And, uh, you know, I believe he's going to go home and use them. I believe that he's going to go home and actually apply these things um, and and be better. You know, I don't know. If you haven't, you should listen to the last episode, episode 132. Um, when you know better, you can do better. And Smokey is one of them guys that I think, now that he knows better, he is going to go home and do better. Now he had some, he had some questions, um, about different things. And, you know, he, he had, uh, we have our little meeting the night 
on Wednesday night before the clinic starts on Thursday. And uh, we have a little meet and greet. And um, he brought some of his bits over there. And he didn't know what to use. But he was willing. And uh, one thing he said as we're talking about these different bits was, you know, I'm here to learn from you. Um, So I'm, I'm willing to try whatever you... Whatever you have to suggest, Ty, I'm willing to try. And that means a lot because it seems like it seems like you're only an expert until somebody disagrees with what you have to say, and then you're no longer an expert. And it's funny because I can help people with all kinds of issues with their mule and their horses, their donkeys, all these things. But when it comes to a talk about what bit to use or when to use a bit or a certain type of uh, certain piece of gear or whatever. Um, if they disagree with that, if, if they, if they don't, if they don't, you know, that that's usually where a lot of people draw the line is in changing bits and equipment used. And what drives me even more crazy is when people will change and use a certain piece of equipment for the clinic. And then Maybe I see them post on Facebook because they're Facebook friends, or I see them post something on Instagram. Usually, Sky shows me because she's usually friends with a lot more people than I am, <laughs> which which is given because she's she's much friendlier than I am. So she's fantastic. Who doesn't want to be Sky's friend, right? Um, but she'll show me like, well, looks like um, they're back in that old bit, and. Um, Anyways, I think it's interesting. I'm like, you know, you, you probably did your meal more harm than good because you used a good piece of equipment for three days and your meal got a little taste of what life could be like um, getting along. And then you go back to the old crap you're using. And, you know, I think that's I think that's more unfair. I'd just rather use your old piece of junk than, um, <laughs> you know, than give them a chance and then take them back to it. You know, but Smokey, he showed up and he says, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm. I'm going to do what you suggest. I'm here to learn and I am, I'll do it, man. I'll do it. And he showed me one of the bits that he has been using on this mule. And I have this little flashback of memories because I had used this piece of equipment way back, you know, and and a lot of you listening, you have heard me talk about equipment and you've heard me talk about my past. And I used to be really ashamed of some of the things that I do or tried or whatever. But now I realize that, you know what? I learned from those experiences. Therefore, I can come to these clinics. I can I can do these things. I can present this information to you because I'm there to help you and I'm there to save you some time. So when you show up to a clinic and I give you a suggestion, it's because I've been there because I know, because I've, I've experienced that experience. I've ridden that road. So I know I'm not just trying to be disagreeable or trying to argue or trying to be a jerk. I'm, I'm, I'm offering my experiences to you at the clinic and you can take them or leave them. You can learn from them or not. And, uh, you know, that's up to you. I, I can't make you do anything. Um, and that's not what I want to do anyways. Uh, just like the way I treat the meals. I don't want to make them do anything. I want it to be a choice. And when somebody like Smokey comes along and he's willing to hear what I have to say and, 
you know, I told him, I said, man, that old bit, that brings up some memories, man. And I said, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd get rid of that if I was you as quick as you could. And I told him what I suggested he use, you know, and, uh, he said, all right, yeah, done. Yeah, I can do it. And so, um, you know, uh, the equipment was seemed to be the thing I answered the most questions about at this clinic in Lubbock was, was equipment. And so we're going to kind of dive into some of this equipment right now and talk about uh, some of these things. And because it kind of started, they were smoky. And then uh, another fellow named John Hoffler. Um, he he had some real interest in making a bridal meal. He had a, he has a meal named Sugar, and he came out over to my camp one night and he wanted to talk about bridles and bits and hackamores and snaffles and he had a lot of interest and and so I kind of want to bring up some of the stuff that he he asked about and um, and then uh, another fellow named Bob uh, he had some questions. Um, about a saddle fit and he actually had a little saddle trouble one day. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to mention a couple of these things right now for you. So let's, let's stick to the, to the bits for just a second. Um, if you're a brand new listener, um, and you haven't listened to previous episodes at all, then you should know that my primary, my primary philosophy and way of teaching is that to do with the great basin buckaroo tradition. So we ride Great Basin Tradition style. That means that I start my mules in snaffle bits, and I achieve a, a, as high a level as I can in the snaffle bit, teaching them all the education that they're going to need to get along in their lives in the snaffle bit. Okay? Um, and then we progress out of there. So you can think of the snaffle bit, and you can go back to the snaffle bit checklist episode. I can't remember which number it is, but you can go back and listen to that. Uh, I'm not going to dive into everything I need to graduate of a snaffle right now. But the snaffle bit is kind of like grade school, okay? It's kind of like graduating out of high school, all right? So grades 1st through 12th, that's the snaffle bit, all right? Um, and then I transitioned to a hackamore for about a year. The hackamore... Hackamore is kind of like, you could think of it like an associate's degree, okay? I just ride in it for a year, and they just get a little bit more education. They get a little more refined because we've taken away signal, and uh, or, or we've got one less signal at least. And um, and then we go, after that year, we go into the two-rain for one year. And the two-rain is when I have a Hackamore setup and a bridal bit setup. If you're listening, you're like, what is a bridal bit? I thought they're all a bridal bit if they're attached to a bridal. Well... Uh, when I when I talk about bridal bit, I'm talking about a shanked bit. I'm talking about a bit um, that operates off of a curb strap now. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm typically talking about a half-breed bit or a spade bit uh, when I talk about the bridles, okay? Now, the two-rein, this is where the mule learns to carry that bridle bit. That's the point, is to go from the hackamore use to the bridle bit use. And it takes a long time to let them carry a bit. This is something else that comes up quite a bit, quite a lot, <laughs> is people will put a bit on in just a few minutes. Like, my mule doesn't like it. I'm like, how do you know? It's been on for five minutes. Well, look, 
And I tell them, you know, before I ever even start my Colts, I get my, my Colts wearing that snaffle bit daily or as often as I can for about three months before I actually start to ride them. So each day they wear the snaffle for, you know, a little time, maybe 20 minutes, maybe half hour, maybe an hour, I don't know. But they just learn to pack that snaffle bit. And most people just throw it on. They don't, they don't ever give the animal a chance to wear it. But I like to let them pack it a little while. Okay, and then when I get to the bridal bit or this, excuse me, the two rein stage, that's also giving them a chance to carry the bridal bit. And I like them to carry it for about three or four months before I actually start to utilize the bridal bit. This teaches them how to carry it, how to pack it without you ever touching the reins. You don't touch the reins at all. A lot of people put a bit in there and they get to ripping and pulling. This is the purpose of the two rein because you still handle with your hackamore, but you let them carry that bridal bit. So that's really important there. Now, there's all kinds of things that come up at this particular clinic about bits. Um, one of the things that come up was remembering your goals. What do you want? Okay, this is something you really got to think about. And it just it just gets me, and this gets me every week, is, is people will tell me, I want my mule to be soft and light and fluid and willing and obedient and they use all these fluffy words and yet they'll show up with a bit on that's got a nose pincher and it's got the brain crusher the pole puller it's got the the high curb and it's a chain on the curb and and you know they're, they're utilizing the shank as you know a signal in the mouth rather than a signal in the curb. Anyways, they show up and they got all these contraptions on their face or cavisons or, you know, what, what else? Tie downs. And, and they got all the stuff on them, all the stuff on the animal. And they're telling me how they want that meal to be so soft and willing. And, you know, I guess I have the, the advantage since I can, I'm, I'm seeing it from the outside looking in because I've already been on the inside looking out and I can, so I can see the whole picture and I just want so much for them to understand what they're even saying. You know, they're telling me these goals, but yet their equipment they're using is not a reflection of those goals at all. And, um, so that came up and I tried to explain to him what, what we're looking for and how, how you use it. And, and you can be, uh, when it comes to bits, um, you, you can be, brutal with with anything you can be brutal with a belling twine in their mouth you can be brutal with with a hackamore you can be brutal with a halter you can just be stupid in all those pieces anything so you got to have some education on how to use it but the the key thing is is to understand what the piece of equipment is and what it's designed to do and what how it's designed to be used the most common reason people flunk out of a snaffle bit is because they pull straight back on it. They use it wrong. They use the snaffle bit wrong. The snaffle is a lateral tool. It's meant to be used left or right. It's the best lateral tool I've found out there. You know, it's the best tool I've found to use if you've got anything troubled that you're going to get ran off with, you're going to get bucked off, you're going to get reared over on. Any trouble I have, I use the snaffle bit because that is the best lateral moving tool. But a lot of people try to just pull straight back on it it's not designed for that. It's not made for that. That's not how it's supposed to be used. Therefore, if you use it that way, the tool will quickly fail you. 
So if you're trying to stop a mule that's running off by pulling straight back on a snaffle bit, that's that's not how it's designed to be used. Maybe if you picked up on one side or the other, you might be able to redirect that thing. And that's how it's supposed to be used. And I don't need to go into that topic um, about troubled stuff because, you know, hopefully you've been listening long enough by now, you know, that you go back to the beginning, you fix stuff up, and you don't likely have as much trouble. Or the trouble you do have is very, very minimal. So knowing how to use a tool, you use the... You, 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 you should use your snaffle bit the way you have to use a hackamore. So the same angles and the same way you pick up on a snaffle bit should be exactly the way you pick up on a hackamore. You can get away with less riding skills in your snaffle bit. The hackamore you don't get away with so much. The hackamore you have to be a little bit more precise. You got to be a better rider. You got to be better at giving those signals, better at handling your reins. Same thing in the hackamore. You can't pull straight back to get anything done. Um, other than a soft feel, uh, but all your lateral moves, they should be done, um, picking up one, one rein or the other, you know, and then the bridle bit, such a beautiful piece of equipment, such a mild piece of equipment gets manipulated and used wrong. They have the curb strap too loose. That's the most common thing I see. If you're riding with a bit with any kind of port and it has any type of really good design, like as in the person who invented the bit or invented the design actually knew what the port was for, then you need to know that port was designed and made to be a counterbalance to your shanks on your bridle bit. It, the port should never make contact with the roof of the mouth. Your curb should be tight enough so that if you was to collect them reins up and you signaled that that curb strap runs into the chin and stops the bit from ever uh, putting the port in the roof. All right, that's critical. I see a lot of people with really loose curbs. They pull back and they can just bend that bit right back and that curb is high. What happens? Mule's mouth is gaping open because they're trying to get away from that pressure. Head's usually high. So you got to pay attention to how those things are supposed to be used. And all the gear you use, I could just do. I could just do a huge episode on all the little things about gear and and how they're originally designed and what they're made originally to do. So there was a lot of talk about some of those bits and and uh, now Mr. Bob, I think it was on day two. He was out there riding his mule Wyatt, um, and it was during lunch. I had just came in. And, and his mule kind of just spooked and kind of just jumped to the side. It was scared of a barrel or something. And it just kind of jumped to the side. And his saddle just tipped right over the side and dumped him off. So he didn't have a chance. His saddle just slipped right over. So we talked a little bit about um, saddles. And there was quite a few questions about saddles, britchens, croupers, all these little pieces. And I'll, I'll say a, f- a few things here. Um. You you have you may have a really good fitting saddle, um, and it might fit excellent. But these auxiliary piece of equipment will help you secure that saddle better. Uh, a, a good fitting breast collar, and I particularly like to use a pulling collar, um, which is a little different than the breast collar. It contours the shoulders on those mules, and it seems to fit better, and it secures your saddle better. Um, 
because a little glitch like Bob had, just the mule spooking and just kind of jumped to the side. All it took was his weight and he just tipped that saddle. But had that had that breast collar kind of done its job, if he had one on there, it would have at least just got that to hesitate that, um, got that tipping to hesitate a little bit, you know. And the other thing I recommended to him was a good britching, have, having a good britching on there. Because that secures your saddle, not only from going forward too much, but also from going side to side. The britching also acts as a as a helper there. So, um, like I said, even if your saddle fits really good, it doesn't take a lot of weight, you guys. And if it's just a little loose, it doesn't take a lot of weight. If the mule's jumping sideways and you're, you've got a lot of weight coming down on one strip or the other, going, you know, away from the mule, it, it doesn't take much to tip. And then now you've come off the mule, you've scared the mule, and you've made things worse for yourself. You know, had a lot of questions about cinch placement, um, especially in the land of Texas. The land of Texas, uh, a lot of folks like to wear their cinch back uh, around the belly. Now, this is a question that come up because I, I run my rear cinch vertical. Um, so they asked me about it. Um, now, the argument typically for running the cinch around the belly or toward the, the back of the barrel there, toward the flank, is that it holds your saddle on. Now, no doubt it does that. Um, it does absolutely help to secure your saddle and keep it from going forward to help with that. Uh, you know, when I used to ride saddle bronc courses, that's where we ran our rear cinches. We put it behind the belly like that and um, keeps your saddle from going forward. But I just mentioned another piece of equipment called a britching. And if you don't have a britching, you can also use a crouper. That's what th those things are for. Um, and I've never had a problem keeping my saddle back, uh, my riding saddle back, um, you know, when I have a britching on. It's just not not an issue. And I run my cinch vertical. Now, I also like my cinch vertical because I like my, my cinch on big bone. I don't like it on those ribs back because those ribs back, those tend to break. I've seen a lot of mules with broken ribs that come to the clinics and you see a little rib kind of poking out. Maybe it'd been broke once or twice or something. And, and that can be pretty dangerous back there. But the, the biggest reason is, is the type of work I do and the way I do my work. I really like to get my mules thinking. Um, you know, the last five years I've become fascinated with uh, some of this brain science and, and really learning how the mule truly thinks, um, learning how those brains function, and then learning how what that brain does affects the body and the things that they, the mule does to show their expressions, how they express physically the way they're feeling. And one of those things is that deep diaphragm breathing where you're kind of breathing in your belly, you know, where you take that big breath and you feel your you feel your kind of feel your gut up with air too, that deep breathing. Now mules will do this after you've taken them through um, a, a moment of, um, of of that optimal learning. We've talked about that before. That optimal learning state where they're slightly heightened, they're curious, they're aroused, they got just a little droplet of stress, just a little droplet of anxiety. You bring them up to that point and then you back off and you give them a chance to soak and learn so they can be sure about what they're learning. And when you get, when you do this, 
you kind of bring them on the downhill side of that little bit of that stress. They get their little dopamine hit. Um, they got these chemicals flowing. Things change in their body. Their breathing changes. And one of the things they do is they do that deep breathing. And you'll see, you'll see the breathing change. And you'll see that gut really breathing back there. And if you got your rear cinch tight and it's back there in that gut, you're kind of restricting that that type of breathing. And therefore, when they kind of tick over into that, you're, you're kind of restricting that whole process a little bit. And I don't like to see that. That's just something that I've noticed just lately. Um, before that, other than that piece, which now I consider one of the most important things, is just the way I ride and the places I ride. You know, um, I'm here in Utah. Everything is straight up. Everything is straight down. And I want my saddle secure, and I want it on big bone. I don't want it on their guts. And I'm not saying if you run your cinch back there in the flank that it's wrong. It, it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong at all. You ride however you want to ride. Do what you want to do. Um, you know, one of the cool things, you guys, is as, as I travel all over the world, I see so many different styles of riding, different styles of saddles and gear. It's just endless. And it's really not that big a deal. Do what works for you and, and what you want to do. If you see something better, pay attention. For me, uh, been there, been down that road, tried those things. I like my vertical rear cinch. That's what I use. And, uh, you know, a lot of places we ride are very testing on the gear and on the mule and they have with withheld and um or they have held up to the tests and things that we've done so um you know and out there in texas another question that comes up is britchens or croopers you know and it, it just depends on how, what you're going to ride if you're going to be in the arena all the time or just kind of poking down the cow pasture maybe you don't do a lot of roping either the the crouper is going to be fine for you if you're in a lot of flat country and you don't put a lot of stress on, if you're going to be out there roping a bunch, I would recommend you ride with a britchin. If you're going to be out there riding some really steep country or even some some of the country I see uh, that it's plenty steep, it's just a small section of steepness. That's still just as important, you know, so I'd recommend you have that good fit in britchin too. So the other thing that come up was different styles of reins. Why you use what you use, you know, um, and really, the reins is just personal preference. Use whatever you want. When I'm riding a snaffle bit, I like Makati style reins because I like to have my lead rope and my reins all in one piece there. And uh, I don't like to ride with a halter. And I like to be able to tie that Makati up, though. If I need to tie my mule to something, I can tie use that Makati to tie them up, and it's pretty easy. Whereas if I just rode with split reins, well, I, I'm not going to type with split reins. You know, they'll just break the rein and pull on the bit, which is dangerous for them and for my gear. So I like that Makati style rein because then you got you got your leader open, you got your your reins there. You know, when I get up into the hackamore, well, the true hackamore, all you can use is a Makati. That's, you know, because the wraps in the hackamore are very important, the, adjusting those wraps there. So you, you have to use a Makati if you're going to use your hackamore correctly. I've seen all kinds of things. People will tie reins to either side of a hackamore. That's not how they're designed. The Makati makes the difference. It, it's what makes the whole hackamore set up the way it the way it is to be used. And so you have to use Makati if you're going to use your Bozell, your hackamore correctly. All right. When you get up into the bridle, that's where things can they can go all different styles of ways. 
you know, people can ride split reins and I like riding with bridle reins personally, which, you know, we call bridle reins. That, that's a, a, a Ramel style, California style rein. You know, it's got some buttons on it. The weight of a Ramel rein, a bridle rein is very particular because once I get them up into that bridle stage, the release is just so critical, so critical. And, and the weight of those reins helps the release rapid fast and, it, it influences the way you pick up and what you give. And so I like my bridle reins personally, but you can get away with riding with split reins, anything you want. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of questions about tack and anyways, I just ran through that real quickly. Hopefully that gives you something to think about there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and, uh, thank our sponsors. And when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Lubbock, Texas. I need to thank my friend, Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA, right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks. And uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R-O-A-M-I-N. Romanhome.com. And uh, tell Ben hello. Tell him Ty sent you. Hey, I want to jump on here real quick and give a big shout out to my buddy Colt Naring. Um, if you're looking for a good custom-built saddle that fits mules and fits you, you need to check out Colt Salary. You find him on Facebook, Colt Salary, and uh, tell him Ty sent you. He will take good care of you. All right, pals, we're back with our Lubbock, Texas debrief. And uh, I want to mention, mention a few more really cool people. You know, the clinic was full of great people, but um, there was a, a Corone Davies Davies or Davis. Sorry, Caron. I know you listen to this. So sorry if I just killed your last name, but she had a, a good little horse there named Poe and Caron is, is planning on coming to one of our cult starting clinics next June. And Poe is uh, two and a half coming three. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to give Caron a shout out because she has done a wonderful job with this horse. Um, now she brought Poe uh, to our Gunnison, Colorado clinic this past summer back in June. And, uh, the Colt did pretty darn good there too, but the Colt did really good here in Lubbock. And, um, you know, Corone told us what she's been doing and she's been doing all the foundation work. She's been doing the foundation class, working hard, going through that checklist. And it's just, I mean, th the results are so cool. So if I could just share through this microphone, my enthusiasm for somebody that just works so hard at these things, sticks to the checklist, stays consistent, and then shows up to get even more tips. She showed up there, tried to get more some more tips, tried to even be better, and she was way better. She did so good. And that that horse is going to be so ready for the Colt Starting Clinic. I can't wait to see the progress that that happens because Corona's just going to have Poe just so ready. So um, good job, Corona. Uh, you're doing a great job and, 
And that's kind of a testament to sticking to the process and going through that list and being consistent. Good job, Corona. Now, another uh, individual that I want to mention here is Mr. Greg Lowe and his mule, Abby. Now, Greg, uh, man, he drove all the way down from Oregon uh, to Texas to come to this clinic. I said, man, you know, I've been to Oregon. Like I was in Oregon back in May, you know, and then also I've been in Washington, also California. Oh yeah. Idaho. Uh, oh yeah. Utah. Uh, oh yeah. Arizona, Montana. There's all these, <laughs> there's all these states, Colorado that are so much closer than Texas for him, but you know, he was busy. And then also, uh, you know, a lot of you listening have been to my clinics. You know, those Northwest clinics fill up really quick. In fact, I think our our clinic in Spokane next year um, in 2022 is almost full. There's just a few spots left in it. Um, John Day, Oregon's filling up quick. Um, anyways, th- they do fill up very fast. And he said, no, I just didn't get in, the, get in there in time. And I saw this was open. And I also had to work at those times as well. So... He drove all the way down to Texas. He drove four days down to do a three-day clinic and then drive four days back. Incredible. Um, but I'm so glad he showed up. You know, he was another fellow that came, like Smokey, showed up there with a notepad and pen in his pocket and was willing to learn writing stuff down. I always wish I could have a little peek at what people write um, and the notes they take in class. And I've I've challenged you all before to if you've come to one of my clinics and taken notes to post it on Facebook, um, in our Facebook group, particularly not just on random Facebook, but in our group, Ty Evans Mulemanship Clinics. Now, if you're not a member of that group, come on over. If you're, if you like this style of mulemanship and you want to learn this style of mulemanship even more, come on over. Anyways, I've challenged them to post those notes. And I remember, uh, there's a fella up in, uh, Washington, Jason McQuinn. And I don't, Jason, I don't know if you, if you listen to this or not. I hope you do. But he came and uh, I was teasing him and I said, why don't you post your notes? Because he was taking notes the whole time of the clinic. I said, why don't you post your notes on, on the group Facebook page? And, and he did. And I thought he was, and Jason's quite the, quite the smart aleck, quite the, the heckler, quite the joker, right? And so he posts these notes and I look at them and they're all, they're all stick figures, I thought, come on, Jason, you know, he just posted all these stick figure stuff. And I'm like, what the heck are you doing, man? And I start looking at these stick figures. Oh my gosh. They were very accurate notes. He, he just drew in stick figure form all the exercises and he did excellent at it. And it made total sense. And I, I got a good laugh out of that, but I thought, Hey, those are pretty dang good. You know, those are pretty good notes. And so uh, however you take your notes, whether it's stick figures or, or actually writing stuff down, you know, um, share them on there. You never know what, uh, what, what you have to share might help somebody else out. And, and, uh, it's kind of fun to see what you guys picked up on, you know, but Greg was one of them fellas taking notes and I'm glad he drove four days down there, four days back home for three days of work. And I hope he got something out of it, but he had a meal named Abby and, uh, Greg was, um, you know, he, he was really tight when we got to the transitions and working on the loping and he was real tight. And I said, when's the last time you, when's the last time you loped that mule? And he says, <laughs> he said, never. And then we, later on when we lined up to do a picture, um, one of the gals there named Zan, 
she said, yeah, I, I got, yeah, this is the second time you loped, Greg, because I made you lope on Wednesday when you got here. Remember? Aren't you glad? He's like, oh yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, but you know, it, it's still surprising how many folks uh, don't work on transitions often enough. And we just kind of ride, um, and we just kind of stay in that flat, you know, and I tried to tell him because there's a few others that also had some trouble with the transitions. And I tried to tell him, you know, kind of, you know, one of the biggest reasons why we work on transitions so much is so that when things come up, we can be comfortable. More important than that, I think one of the most, most important lessons that you can really get going with your animals is the ability to really bring them up and really bring them back down in that energy. You should be able to just to, just to crank them up and just lope across that field. And then two seconds later, just slow them right down and stop and stand there. And a kid should be able to ride them. I, I want to be able to utilize that life in the body like that. And that's how you know when things are really going good. If you can't crank up, crank up that energy and dial it back down, if you can't do that, you have work to do. You, that is not, that is not a complete mule or a horse. That is not a complete trained, a, a, a totally finished animal there. You have work to do and we should all be able to do that because you guys, I see a heck of a lot of animals. You get them dialed up like that and it's just difficult to bring them back down and you'll be getting bothered by it. So I kind of explained that to the class and I hope they took it and I hope they'll keep work on transition. I hope if you're listening today that you will take that to heart and you will work on some transitions because you need to be able to do that with your animals. That is when you know you have a, a, a good complete animal and they don't guess what you guys, they don't get to graduate out of the snaffle bit until I can take off and I can lope and I can cut, bring it on back down. And it's no big deal. I'm not saying it has to be perfect, but it shouldn't be a big deal. I shouldn't be worried about getting bucked off. All right. Now, the last individual I want to mention here on this uh, Lubbock, Texas debrief is Mrs. K. Prince and Geronimo, the loping donkey. All right. Now, um, K. brought Geronimo. She did both classes. She double dipped. She did foundation and mulemanship one. And if you're thinking about coming to a clinic, those two classes go together really well. The foundation and mulemanship one. They mirror each other. They're great companions. And she did both. And, um, you know, this, this, uh, Geronimo was, uh, he, he was a Jack. He's now gilded. Uh, so he had been in the breeding world and, and, uh, and now he's, he's just getting going on her saddle. Kay is pretty much starting him under saddle. And, you know, this is one of the lightest Jacks I've seen. Um, the most willing donkeys I've seen. Um, just, just not, not any, not really any dullness. Uh, I see a lot of people that uh, get these donkeys and they've already been, you know, started. And man, I feel bad for them because there's so many people that just kind of pull on these donkeys and kick on these donkeys and they get them. You can get a donkey just froze up super easy. And Geronimo was not that way. He was pretty fresh. And I told her, I said, okay, you, you need to make a bridal donkey out of, out of that Geronimo. And she kind of chuckled like, what is that? You know? Yeah, right. I said, no, uh, you know, I got, a, I got a friend out in Arizona, you know, that's making, making a bridal donkey out there. And, uh, and I got a, I got some friends up in Ohio, uh, that are, I, I'm trying to talk them into make some bridal donkeys up there. 
you know, and, um, and I said, I said, Kate, you can make a bridle donkey out of this thing. This thing, you know, he is one of the lightest donkeys I've seen. And I hope she takes that to heart. You know, any of you listening that have donkeys, I want you to know what that thing could be. All right. That, that thing could be really amazing. If you just give them a chance, I feel like a lot of people hold, I think, I think we hold our animals. Now this is not just donkeys. This is mules, horses, dogs, everything. I think we are the biggest obstacle in the way of our animals making progress. They're limited to what we know, unfortunately. And I promise you guys, if you give them a chance, they all, they all can be amazing. And the donkeys too. The donkeys can be very light. Give them a chance. Make some goals. They can be a lot more than just a trail plug. I promise you they can do it. So anyways, good job, K Prince. I hope uh, you and Geronimo keep making some progress. And good job to everybody that came. You know, the, there's a lot of great people that came to the clinic uh, there in Lubbock, Texas. And, um, you know, I wish I could just sit here and go on and on about everybody. But um, I will, I will keep it keep it short here so but big thanks to everybody you know uh we got one clinic left this year coming up next week we go to go out to the san rafael swell in utah uh, to do our extreme trail riding clinic and and i can't wait to wait to do that that's that's a great way to finish up our year you know but lubbock texas was a great way to finish up our regular clinic season big thanks to everybody that made it possible and thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Thanks for trying to be better and to be, to be your best. Hey, if it's not too much to ask, I would love to hear from you. Tell me what you think of the podcast. You can leave a review on Apple or just send me an email, ty at tsmules.com. And hey, don't forget, if you guys would like to join us at a clinic, I would love to have you there. Our 2022 clinic tour is now available. It's up online. You can go online. You can sign up for uh, clinics right there. On the website, go to tsmules.com, click on the clinic, scroll down to 2022, and it's right there ready for you. So looking forward to it. Hey, thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless, and we'll see you down the road.